this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and standing by to join me is author Alka Joshi. Welcome. Thank you so much, Anine, for having me. And there is her book, The Henna Artist. Congratulations. <laughs> and as you were just mentioning, and I had noticed, Reese Witherspoon picked your book up for her book club. How did yeah. that feel? Oh my gosh, just amazing. I am so grateful that there are women like Reese Witherspoon who are really interested in promoting women-centric books. And that's exactly what this is. This is about a whole group of women who are taking charge in ways that you wouldn't expect, especially being raised in a society where women are not given a lot of direct power. It's a really interesting story because I was, I was reading up on you. And uh, by the way, if you're wondering more about Alka, I put everything on the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And this is a fictional look at what if for your mom. Could you share a little bit about that, how this came to be? Sure. My mother was married at 18 in an arranged marriage by her father and, of course, my father's family. Um, he was 23. They were, um, you know, they had to get married. It was, it was not something you did. You didn't defy your parents' expectations about that, especially when you'd been raised your whole life to know that you'd have an arranged marriage. So immediately they start having children and then within four years they have three small kids. And then when my dad says, I wanna go abroad because I wanna get my PhD doing this certain kind of research that's only available abroad, well then my mom packs up everybody, takes everybody there. Even when we were in India, my dad was an engineer and he was working for the state of Rajasthan. And so we would be moving around. And in nine years, uh, until I was nine, we had moved five different times. So my mother was responsible for, you know, getting all the kids packed up, ready to go, getting into a new school system, all of that. And I don't think that she ever questioned that that was her role. But I think I could always see that there was a part of her that was not satisfied. There was a part of her that was yearning to do something or be something more than a wife and a mother. And I think maybe a lot of us could relate to that, right? With our yes. own mothers or grandmas. Yes. At what age did you start to gain that insight where you were observing your mom and saying, I'm seeing something is missing? Oh, I think it started as early as my teens. Um, just in little things that she might say or little things she might do. But it really came fully alive for me when I started to take her back to India uh, when she was in her 70s. And we would spend such a long period of time there, a couple of months at a time. And I got a chance to just ask her things like, oh, mom, what did you like to eat when you were little? Like, what, what was your favorite subject in school? And, um, oh, let's go visit your, your old school while we're at it, while we're talking about it. And so we would take day trips and we would, you know, go around. We'd go to the fruit market and oh, nice. things about things she liked to cook with or eat uh, that are only available in India. So it was a real eye-opener for me to imagine my mother as a girl in India. That's really when it all came alive for me. And that's when Lakshmi came alive as a uh, protagonist. And I started to think, oh, what if my mother could have escaped her marriage or left her marriage or deserted mm -hmm. everything that she had known at such a young age before the kids are born, she gets to start her life over. What if? What would what she if? have done? Where would she have gone? 
So that's where it all started to uh, come alive for me. And in Jaipur, where we were uh, visiting, mom and I, for so long, um, that's where I based the book because I could experience Jaipur in such a visceral way while I was there and know it through the experiences of both my parents uh, when they used to live there. Now, I'm a little bit familiar with henna. I think it's beautiful. Could you tell me a little bit about the meaning, if there is some meaning of actual henna art? Um, so much of the design that I incorporated into the book with henna, that's mm -hmm. all for my imagination. I love it. Henna, henna artists generally only use patterns. So there are Arabic patterns that have more to do with leaves and trees and flowers. Mm -hmm. There is Indian henna, which is more geometric. It has more to do with the Mughal influence in India, all the architecture, all the designs, the mosaic inlays. Um, there is Northern African henna that has a much more bold patterns. Geometric patterns are much bolder, not quite as lacy as the Indian henna. So there are many countries in which henna is done, and the henna artists generally are using the patterns from their own countries, and today's artists are actually combining and fusing a lot of the different designs of the henna from different places. But the henna that I created, Janine, in the mm -hmm. book, that is just from my imagination. For example, in the first chapter where Lakshmi is painting a fig and a wasp on Parvati's feet, mm -hmm. I just remember a long time ago reading about figs and reading about how it requires, uh, there are so many different kinds of figs and every single fig has to have a different wasp that fertilizes it. And then the fig dies inside the wasp. <laughs> I mean, what? inside the yeah, the, the wasp dies inside the fig. Right. So when we eat figs, we're actually eating dead wasps, <laughs> which, I, which I didn't know. I don't but, know if I'll be eating another one of those right, again. Right, <laughs> I know. I haven't been able to eat a fig since. <laughs> but that particular henna that um, Lakshmi is doing, that's a very, I think, symbolic and imaginative henna. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't run across a henna artist yet who is doing that kind of thing. So every piece of henna that I describe in the book that Lakshmi is doing, that's just from my imagination. I've not actually seen that in real life. Now this, writing this book took, what, 10 years I had heard? Yes. Yes. Um, that's scary. That's scary for people. That's scary yes. for people who are actually writing a book or want to write a book. But I feel like that 10-year journey is something I had to go through. Having never written a book before, I had to learn how to put the pieces together. Mm -hmm. I had to learn how to go deeper into characters. I had to learn that every scene involves a beginning, a middle, and an end. That arc. Yes, an arc. Yes. Yeah. And you don't put scenes in that aren't moving your characters forward or the journey forward. Yes. So I had a lot of pages that went into the file 13, uh, you know, because <laughs> I started to write something and I thought, okay, this, this is wonderful. It's fun to write about but it's not serving the story yeah there were so many times when i had to cut 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 and go right back to what the so story hard was. yeah it's so hard um so for people that are watching this or listening to this what advice would you give to people that are kind of in a writing funk i would call it <laughs> um i think that the best thing to do when you're in a writing funk is uh to rely on uh some 
writing prompts. Because I, I always found writing prompts helped me. When I was stuck in something, I would, you know, look on the internet or ask a friend to give me a writing prompt of some kind. Like, I don't know, like, when was the first time you realized that your mother was not just your mother, but a separate individual? Yes. So um, things like that, that really keep your mind and your imagination churning again. So that's number one. Another thing I do is I take a walk or I ride my bicycle or I go for a swim. I do some kind of physical activity because that keeps the scene moving in my mind, the scene that I might be stuck on. Mm. Um, and then also there's that you know third thing that you can do where you can talk to somebody about it. And my husband is a writer as well. So oftentimes when he and I are sort of stuck in the scene, uh, we'll say, okay, can I talk over this scene with you? Can you sort of hear me out? And that really helps a lot because all of a sudden something bursts through and you go, oh, I think I know where this could go. Or yes. the person that you're talking to suggests, maybe you could go in this direction and you go, hmm, I hadn't tried that, but let me try it. Yes. I always, just like when I was reviewing your book and I review other books, I always look at it as, can I see this as a movie? And I really could. I, I'm a very visual person. And as you know, I like to write. So I kind of see things when I'm writing or when I'm reading as it does it have a beginning, middle and end. Can I see this as a movie? And it was perfect. Oh, thank you, Janine. Um, I also am a very visual person. I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. And so I see in color in my imagination. I dream in color, um, you know, all of that. And so, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, I could always see this as a movie. In fact, the scenes that I wrote in the book are scenes, moving scenes, colorful scenes in my head. I see like the that. characters. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the first things that I did when I started writing is do a visual board. So I cut out pictures from magazines of what I imagined each character to look like. And if That's I could, a great process. Yeah. Wow. And then okay. when I could see them, I could like in different scenes, like let's say the wind is blowing, then I could go, oh, that person has that kind of hair where the wind would be blowing their curls about. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you could imagine yes. that. So the visual board, on the visual board, I also put settings. So I put pictures of houses that people lived in and that made it easier for me to describe the house. But you know, it's also like your imagination. So you have a house, but then you think, you know, that, dr that driveway is going to be a really long driveway. So I'm just going to put that in there and then we get to the spectacular house, you know, so you can incorporate, of course, bits of your imagination, but a visual board uh, was very inspiring to me to keep it all going. That really helps you pinpoint all the characteristics of each character and the settings before you even get started. And then you can really visualize where this is going. Yes, absolutely. Um, another thing that one of my instructors had me do is she had me write down backstories for each character, mm -hmm. you know, so okay. that you sort of understand where they grew up, uh, what they like to eat, uh, what they like to play, um, you know, maybe little quirks about them. Mm -hmm. That was very helpful for the older Maharani because she was so eccentric. Uh, you know, when she came into the scene, uh, it, everything was always so lively with her because she everything she did you just hadn't expected she would do especially like you know in that scene where she thinks well the maharajas drink opium to seal their treaties so we're going to drink <laughs> opium Lakshmi you and I to seal our little treaty mm -hmm. here. um so she was a, a lot of fun and so you know that 
yeah, that imagination really uh, comes into play and the visual boards really come into play when you're trying to create uh, kind of even out there characters. Now, here's a question for you. You uh, had this book come out, you said March 3rd, was it around there? Okay. And then the quarantine hit. How are you doing with all this? Are you doing a lot of these remote Zoom interviews or what's happening with your book tour? Because I've seen some of your conversations and they're so positive and you seem so positive. I'm sure we all have these ups and downs, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I try to stay positive, which is, um, and I want to talk about this a little bit about my overall um, theme in the book. Good. But I tried to stay positive in my real life as well. Now, sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes, um, you know, as you see each of your book events get canceled one by one by one, and you've been waiting 10 years to put something mm. out, it can be devastating. And there yes. were days where I just cried. I just thought, oh my gosh, you know, oh. why is this happening? You know, 10 years and now I don't even get to talk yeah. to anybody. I know. So, um, and my husband is very, very um, supportive in that way, because as I told you, he's a writer. So he understands what it he is. Gets to it. Disappointed. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also understands what it is to not be able to express what you need to express in a piece of work. So at all these points of frustration, he would just say, you know, honey, just step away. Just go, go for a walk. Go do Good. something. Go change your environment. You'll Good. feel much better. So I would do that. Um, but then also, let me talk a little bit about the positive angles that I tried to put in the book. I really believe that life is amazing and full of possibility and that at any moment when change strikes there are some things that are going to happen that are negative but there are also some really positive things that are going to happen so the positivity in this environment for me has been being able to talk to book clubs virtually Good. I would never have been able to travel all the way to the UK just now and then the next day be in Arizona and then the next day be up in Manitoba and the next day be down in Australia. But now I can do that all in one day. I can have one or two different book clubs that are situated in different areas. I am loving this whole pandemic idea of talking to book clubs and it allows me to talk to readers. If I were doing like, let's say one book event, and there were a hundred people there. I wouldn't have a chance to talk to every single one of those people. You're right. But with book clubs, I get a chance to talk to all the eight or 10 or 15 people. It's a very private sort of uh, affair. It's perfect. And um, so I'm loving that. I'm also loving radio interviews because that hasn't changed, right? People are still right. doing radio interviews. You don't have to yes. see them. And uh, I also love, uh, you know, any kind of interviews that I've been having with magazines and, um, you know, uh, on these kind of virtual book events, like with Litquake in San Francisco or with Kepler's books in Menlo Park. Um, I love all of these kinds of things. It's just so much fun. So that 10 years was worth the wait because it sounds like it really gave you the time to really grow as a writer and then never would you have imagined launching it and doing all this in a pandemic. Exactly. And so you just pivot. So just like all the women in the book are able to pivot, Mm -hmm. uh, they don't always have direct power that is given to them. 
they're often told that they are less than men because the men are the ones that are given all the power, are given the um, ability to control their lives, the women's yes. lives. Um, but they find ways to pivot. They find ways to, to get some things done in their lives that they want to get done. So Lakshmi doesn't have any direct power. The fact that she doesn't have a husband that anybody can see, the fact that she doesn't have children gives her a lower status in the women's eyes whom she services. Yeah. And so she bides her time. She says, okay, I can take their insults. I can take their, you know, their ways of putting me down as long as I keep my eyes on the prize. And my mm -hmm. prize is going to be this house that I am building and land that I own and the key to the front door that only I will have. This will be my power. Uh, the younger Maharani, she has a Maharaja who gets to send her son away to England to get educated without even telling her about it. That is just mm. a power that he has. And so um, one of the things that she did, uh, she also was not able to abolish Purda, uh, which is you know the women being kept separate from the men in any kind of uh, palace function uh, and also just the way of living in a palace. And so what does she do? She starts a school for young women. She starts a school that allows them to learn about what's happening in the greater world, to be able to talk to people about world history, world politics, uh, to be able to dance, uh, Western dances, so that if they are ever in a position where they can go around the world and showcase their talents, they're you know, able to teach them that. So I wanted this book to be a celebration of um, uh, all that women have the resilience and the strength to be able to accomplish even given the smaller lives that they are relegated to. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of these women are given smaller lives, but my goodness, what a lot they do with them. Absolutely. So going back, Janine, to my, um, the positivity thing. So I really do believe that uh, what I wanted to bring out in this novel, The Henna Artist, is a lot of positivity. Number one, let's talk about women's resilience. Just not even in the 1950s when the novel takes place, but uh, just women's resilience in general and how much strength women have that maybe they don't even realize they have. Then the other positive thing I wanted to bring out was how India was feeling after the British left. How fabulous people must have thought, oh goodness, after hundreds and hundreds of years of other people ruling us, we finally have our country back. We can determine our own future. And then also the positivity of the fact that India is this very um, tolerant and inclusive, inclusive is a better word, inclusive nation. India is a place where I'm showing people with a lot of different religions, mm -hmm. languages, socioeconomic classes, all thriving and living and working together. And that is what being in India is like. And if people through this book can understand that that is what living in India is like, it's not this constant um, battle between the Hindus and the Muslims. It's not this constant battle uh, of you know, various religious factions and racial factions fighting with each other. It's really 1.4 billion people learning how to live together and thrive together. And I wanted to point that out as well. I think you did an excellent job. Thank you. This is also a tribute to your mom. Yes. 
Yes. So, you know, uh, what my mom gave me is such an incredible uh, gift to be able to raise a daughter so differently from the way she was raised, to be able to raise a daughter and say, you know what, honey, the way that you are going to uh, claim power in your life is to always be financially able to support yourself and also to be able to make your own decisions. So you decide whom you want to marry. You decide whether you want to have children, how many you want to have. You decide what career you want, and you get to study in school, so you decide what you want to do. There was one year, Janine, where I wanted to go study in Italy because I love Italian, and also I wanted to learn about the Renaissance, and uh, Stanford has a uh, Stanford and Florence program. And so I said you know, to my mom, I go, you know, mom, I really want to go study there in my junior year. My dad wasn't so keen on it because it would cost more money. And even though I worked the whole time that I was in college, um, I certainly didn't make so much extra money that I could have paid for the extra program. So my mom talked my dad into it. She said, you know, we only have one daughter and she gets a chance to do this. So let's, you know, let's make it happen for her. My mom was always our advocate for my brothers and me, you know, through my dad and trying to get him to be on board with things that we wanted to do. So, you know, she was always there for me. And I just thought, I want to be there for her. I cannot change her life. There's nothing I can do about going back all of those years and getting her the education that she wanted. But I think I could give her the life and fiction that she never had in reality. That is beautiful. Mm. So tell me where people can find out more about you. So people can go to the hennaartist.com. Uh, where I have posted a lot of different videos that I've done about the writing process and publishing process, as well as interviews that I've done with very, very strong women uh, throughout the world. Hannah artists, uh, women who are raising the profile of single women in India. There are 74 million single women in India who don't get um, the type of recognition that they should uh, they are often considered pariahs because they don't have a husband and they don't have children. Oh. This is a problem. This is a problem. Once again, it's all about not letting women have the power that really any human being on life should be accorded. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just, I just think that, um, uh, oh, the, the other thing that I include in my website are all of the articles that have been written about the henna artists. And I am just blown away by the reviews and how positive they have been. Um, I don't think I ever expected the book to be quite this huge. I didn't expect it to touch this many lives. I wrote a book sort of honoring my mother, mm -hmm. and wanting to write something very positive about the women of India. And then also... Uh, a book that I would enjoy reading. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to write a book that I would enjoy reading. And I have no idea that women all around the world, no matter where they're from, would find things in this book that are helping them figure out, hey, maybe I want to do something different in my life. Definitely. Maybe I want to reinvent myself. Yeah. Maybe I can write. You know, look at Alka. She's 62 years old. Maybe I can publish a book when I'm 60, you know? So they're, they're beginning to rethink all of those. And I think um, that that's just a wonderful offshoot of what has happened with this book. So surprising. Because it really does apply to other cultures, any other situations. In general, it's a wonderful lesson for women that you do not have to 
um, follow the path you're told to follow, uh, follow the expectations, follow your, follow your own heart, you know? Yeah. And also I think Janine, the reality is that oftentimes when you do follow your own heart, you might have to give something else up in your life. Yes. And, um, the choices are hard. The choices are hard. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of choices in this book, right? There are choices about whether to keep the children um, that are coming your way. Yes. There are choices about adoption. Do I want to adopt or do I want to keep trying for this baby that never seems to come? Mm -hmm. There are choices about do I want to love marriage? Do I want an arranged marriage? Um, and I think women have to make a lot of hard choices in their lives. So... Uh, I just wanted also to be able to say, I think that when you do make a hard choice, you have to give something else up. You, you know, that's why it's considered a hard choice. If things were easy in our lives, we could just sail right through. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I have really enjoyed talking to you. I want to thank you so much for being on my show, Alka. Oh, you're so welcome. Oh, and Janine, I forgot to mention, what? there's a sequel coming. So really? next year. Yes. Yeah, so next year we are going to find out more about these same people 12 years after the henna artist ended. Fantastic. Then you'll find out whether Lakshmi ended up with Dr. Kumar or, or what, what happened to Samir, what happened to Ravi, you know, what happened to Malik, all of those people. And then after that, there will be a third book in the trilogy. And so this is actually going to be the same characters over the span of 20 years. Amazing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, when characters are so real in your imagination that they won't leave you alone. Yes. You can't help but write about them. You can't right. help but write those scenes that are coming to you. And that's how I ended up writing the sequel. And it didn't take me 10 years because now I exactly know what these characters are going to do in any given situation. One thing I didn't ask you, and I do want to ask you because I'm a writer and there's a lot of writers who watch this show. When you are writing, is there a specific time that you like to write and a place? No. I am one of those weird people that I can write in the morning, I can write in the afternoon, or I can write at night. If I have a deadline, I'll write six hours straight. If I don't have a deadline, I might write one day and I might not write the next day. So um, my husband, however, Brad, he has a whole different structure. He needs the time. Yes. He needs to be in a place. He needs to be with his books all around. He needs that. I could write in the car. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Wherever inspiration strikes. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Alka. I really enjoyed this. Oh, you're so welcome. I had a great time. And hello to all of your writer listeners. I wish them the best journey possible for whatever it is they're exploring in their lives. Wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye.